Hey there, listener, and welcome to Popner Lounge. I'm your host, Steph Pham. Today's guest is a food and lifestyle YouTuber specializing in Asian cuisine with a twist. She's developed a following known as the Busy Beast, reaching nearly 1 million people. We nerd out on Vietnamese food, talk about growing up with Asian cuisine, and how she's left the corporate world in pursuit of the creative lifestyle. Please welcome my guest, Zhang Lewis. I'd like to welcome my guest today, Zhang Lewis. Zhang, thank you so much for joining me today and having a conversation on my podcast. Hi, Steph. Thanks for having me. What's your favorite food to cook and why? Oh my gosh, that's so hard to narrow down because I love like all different types of food. But I think right now, uh, I just made like this whole Korean spread and I always love to get Korean food. So I'd have to say Korean. Oh, Korean is so good. Especially like Korean barbecue. Oh mm-hmm. my God. I love Korean yeah, I barbecue. Mean, I know. It's just, there's just something about all the flavors, like the fermented like notes and everything it just adds so much depth and flavor to like the food i'm obsessed <laughs> yes and, and that's like one thing about asian cuisine too is that it's not just one note there's so many textures mm-hmm. and spices and flavors and everything that you get such variety that you never get bored yeah. with that Honeysuckle Catering had its humble beginnings on YouTube in 2009 as a creative outlet for yourself before you chose to pursue it full um, before you chose to pursue it full time. What helped you through that transitional phase right. and why did you decide to take the leap? Uh, I mean, so Honeysuckle Catering we we dropped the catering recently just cuz it was so confusing to everyone, but we I started the channel as like just like as a creative outlet. I always love to cook and my boyfriend at the time who's now my husband was getting into like video production and stuff like that so it was just like a fun project for us to do together and I was still working full-time um in finance for a tech company at the time and I mean being in tech is just so boring and (laughs) being in finance on top of that it was like super painful and just for my personality and what I love to do I just it just you know I needed something to get my creative juices and get my passion and like stuff out there and so on the side I started catering for people just like making like cake pops at the time popular so like I would make cake pops and like, cupcakes and all these sweets and I did like a few weddings like dessert bars and stuff for people but then they quickly realized juggling the two careers like not possible <laughs> um And so it became like a digital thing. And my finance career, you know, it was like a stable job and everything. And so that was always the main priority until I got laid off in 2012. And it was kind of a blessing because I decided like I couldn't, I just couldn't get myself to send in a resume for another finance job. Like to me, that was just painful. Like I'd rather have a huge pay cut then go back to that life and then we started doing videos like once a week every day since 2012 and here we are today um i mean i never pursued it full-time just because back in like even 2012 it wasn't 
like a viable career like YouTube wasn't a thing I mean bloggers and influencers were just becoming um popular but I didn't know anyone that made a living off of it right so I was still working another full-time job at Sunset Magazine um, and I went into marketing I like totally revamped my career I went into marketing I ran a wine competition but it was in a space that I was super passionate about I loved working in that lifestyle space Sunset Magazine was about like home design food um, gardening, just like everything that I was really interested in. Um, and I learned a lot from there. And um, it was a few years later, I, I, I went with my boss from Sunset to work on another like travel project. And um, from there, I kind of, that was when Honeysuckle began to really ramp up and it grew a ton. In like, I think two years, I gained like handles like 400,000 subscribers which is huge because it took me so long to even get like right. 100,000 subscribers and yeah I Nate, Nate went full-time on it way before I did and so it wasn't until 2000 oh it was it was last June of 2018 when I finally jumped all in and made it full-time and oh my gosh, it takes like Sorry, it takes, it's such a long story. No, 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 no. But I love it. It's so inspiring because you know a lot of people. I deal with a lot of uh, youth uh, while I'm working at the high school, and I've said this before on my podcast in one of the earlier episodes. But a lot of them I hear, they're like, "Oh, you know what? You know what I want to do whenever I grow up is just not do anything but YouTube and be an influencer." But I'm like, <gasps> you have to understand, there's so much hustle behind oh it. Oh my gosh, yeah, because yeah. like, yeah, like you, you you watch the people and they might be you might. I think that it's so easy to be successful with that kind of career, but it's not. There's so much like strategy and logistics and planning. Totally. Exactly. And, and there's so and yeah, go like ahead. The the environment on YouTube changes all the time. Like the algorithm changes, like what right. trendy changes, what people right. want to see changes. Like yes. you just have to stay on top of that and just know I, I mean, I, I think this is where my background in finance really came into play because, like, analytics are so important to know, like, when people drop off, like, what the, like, click-through rates and all that stuff like, that you don't right. really consider, you know? And right. you're like, oh, I'm just going to put up a video and hope it clicks. But, like, really, there's a lot of, like, numbers and math behind it. There is. Mm -hmm. And just, like, yeah, like, a lot of... Um, observation of like who's watching your stuff and like when they do it and like who who's your demographic and everything oh my god there's so much that goes into it so I love your mission statement about wanting to inspire young women around the globe to use food and lifestyle choices to develop creativity self-confidence and a community in everyday life so how can women yeah. begin to see food not just as a form of nourishment but also develop a healthy relationship mm -hmm. with it I think especially with like social media these days, things are made so, you know, like things are made in a way that's not like real. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, or like the food has to be perfect and all of that. I mean, sure, it's fun. That's like a creative and like artistic thing to do. But in terms of just having like a good relationship with food, I feel like women should allow themselves to eat whatever, just knowing that 
whatever works for your body and do it in moderation. So like the stuff I make on my channel are all, they all lean towards like the healthier side. Sometimes I'll indulge a little bit, but for the most part, it's like taking your favorite things and making it approachable, knowing that you can make it and making it in a lighter and healthier way. If I'm going to make a, mm, like a chicken salad sandwich, for example, right? Like su usually there's like super laden with mayo and just nothing. I don't know. It's just like fatty and creamy. It's delicious, but I like to think of other substitutes, swap it out. Like instead of mayo, use Greek yogurt. It still has like that creamy consistency yet you know, it's a lot lighter and it has protein that's actually good for you or like swapping with avocado. So I'll try to find like interesting ways to either make it still tasty, but you know, healthier options. And just like, I, I think just showing people that you can still make delicious food yet being a little bit more mindful of the ingredients you have. And I'm lucky to be in California because there's so many fresh ingredients here that I get super inspired by, um, just like seasonal, like fruits, for example, it's like, Oh, how can I use this? Oh, like, you know, it just gets you thinking outside the box a little bit. Exactly. Yes, girl. Yes. <laughs> so these next two questions come from my co-executive producer, V. Shout out to V. She's the one that introduced you to me. And yeah, um, hi, <laughs> she will love that. Oh my gosh. So walk me through the process of coming up with your recipes. Do you usually tweak any existing recipes or do you create them from scratch? <clears throat> I don't know. It's just like such a convoluted way of how I do things. So my favorite thing to do is to go out and like try new foods like that real chefs are making out there and coming home and challenging myself with recreating those flavors. One of the things that my dad taught me at a really young age when he had such a great palate that he would be able to taste anything at a restaurant and then go home and recreate it. He'll be like, Ooh, I taste notes of like lemongrass in here or like tamarind in here. Like, and then, and then he would be able to come home and make it. And so I'm like, that's amazing. And I'm lucky enough to have been able to get a little bit of those skills. So, um, I would just, do it based on taste and what I remember it. And if I need help with like, you know, like this isn't quite there yet, I'll go on and compare like maybe like five or six different recipes to see what the like common ingredients are and kind of come up with my own spin. And that's pretty much how I've done most of the recipes on the YouTube channel. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I just don't feel comfortable like using other people's recipes. Right. You know, it's like almost like plagiarizing. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and if I do, I'll always credit them. But I like I, I just like making things my own and just making them a little different. I think that kind of gives you like your own personality and edge too, right? Right. Like a lot of my food is, I guess you can say they're like fusiony. They're like Asian, but with like a modern twist to it. Uh, for example, like the Madelines we were talking about earlier, like you don't really see much of Madelines that's dipped in white chocolate. Right, right. <laughs> and so like just coming up with that like little bit of extra oomph to a recipe, I just think it makes it a little more special. <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. yeah. 
So when you develop these recipes, how do you go about quantifying the ingredients, considering that, especially with like Asian cooking, it's often eyeballed or estimated? Oh my gosh, yes. Yes. <laughs> it's funny because I've been cooking with my mom. She's down here visiting me for a while. And um, I'm working on a special project that I can't talk about yet, but just know that it's coming. Yes, yes. <laughs> In <laughs> Um... But we've been, like, making a ton of food, and a lot of them are family recipes, and she was like, Mom, let's make your um, chicken dish, right? And she's like, I, I'm like, but I need them, I need them to be measured out. And she's like, no, I eyeball everything. I'm like, no, you can't, not this time. <laughs> Honestly, though, I still, I still err with the side of eyeballing, and I still, like, for my everyday cooking, I eyeball everything, and I just, like, swipe it and taste it, and I'm like, oh, it's missing this and that. But for, like, the channel, I force myself to measure things so I could <laughs> teach people how to do it correctly. Right, right. Oh my gosh! I yeah. her and I were both talking about that because we we always wonder. I'm like, how do people know that it's like two tablespoons of sugar or like three like cups of this or that? You know, you because you're like, how, does, do people do it to taste? Like, is it texture, consistency? Like, there's so many factors that come in with building a totally. recipe, right? Yeah, and you know what helps too is like there's so many times, and I get called out on this all the time because like what I do is I write out like the basic recipe list um on my computer and then I'll measure it out and then like on my channel you'll see them all like measured out in little cute bowls and then I'll take a look at it and I'm like no that's too much sugar like I can look and I can tell <laughs> it's weird and so then like I decrease it in there and then I forget to decrease it on the actual recipe list and then it's like hey the same thing as what you were what you wrote I'm like oh yeah sorry for, I forgot to update that <laughs> <laughs> but that's just how it goes and yeah yeah it does and you can you can always just update and be like guys disclaimer like this has changed or whatever yeah, yeah. totally so growing up Vietnamese did Vietnamese cuisine inspire you to get involved with cooking since food is such an integral part of keeping our culture alive yeah. So I was lucky enough to have my grandma, who is an amazing cook. She specialized in like Vietnamese French foods at like a really young age, like seven or eight or whatever. I like helped her make duck larange or even like cow tongues too, which is like really pretty odd for like a seven year old knowing like how picky they are these days. But like, it was so delicious, and I just loved all those, like, French, like, fancy flavors, so I always helped her in the kitchen to make, like, even everyday food. Um, it's called doka, which is, um, I guess it's, like, kind of, like, stewed meat, like, I don't know, like, you know, like, stuff you make in a clay pot for Vietnamese food? Right, right. Stuff like that would be, like, a staple, and we'd always have, like, a side of vegetables or a side of, like, soup um, with the rice uh, for a meal, and so I would always be in charge of um, just cleaning the vegetables and, like, prepping, and then I'd always watch her cook, and so... Like, that's pretty much how I got my background with Vietnamese cooking. And then, you know, my parents worked a lot growing up. So someone had to make dinner. And because I loved and I knew how to cook, I was the one making dinner in, like, middle school, high school. Oh, wow. 
but it was fun. Like, I loved it. I mean, at the time, it probably wasn't, like, as good as what an adult could have made, but I worked on it, and they were actually pretty, like, impressed after a while. Like, once I kind of, like, my parents would always give me feedback, like, hey, like, this dish needs more of this, or, like, try to cook it, like, this way, and I'm like, okay, I'll take notes. <laughs> But yeah, I hope that answers your question. Oh, it does. It no, it definitely <laughs> does. So, what was what's your favorite Vietnamese dish, either to cook or to eat? Ooh, um, my favorite. Oh, there's just so many because you have like the everyday food stuff, and then you have like the special stuff, and you have the stuff that's only during holidays. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's such a hard one to narrow down. <laughs> I really love um, steamed rice rolls. It's called thang bao. Oh, yes. Those are my favorite. Uh, and then for everyday food, I love... Um, it's called ganjuo ga kadal. It's like a combination. It's like two different things. Like one is a like tamarind sour catfish soup with like this spongy... It's called elephant ear, but it's like this spongy vegetable that kind of soaks up all the flavor it doesn't have any flavor itself but it just soaks up whatever flavor that you put it with and it's just so like i don't know it's like nostalgic for me to have that and then the the clay pot catfish is just like so savory and fatty and delicious oh my gosh i love gakka like my mom will make that it's so good and and like um you're mentioning the gakkenjua and like my mom and dad love that they absolutely love that i'm just like you're sitting here you're making me all nostalgic i'm like oh it's Vietnamese food talk yes yes i'm all for it like i know it's just uh it brings back so many memories right and 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 for me i'm glad that Vietnamese food has gotten gained popularity. I know that everybody's like pho, pho, pho. But like, (laughs) but there's so much more to that. There's so many more dishes like to try Mm -hmm. and like so many different things that are completely different from pho. Like there's so many like fish dishes, chicken dishes. There's so many different things that you can try. Right. But you don't find that normal like modern everyday Vietnamese restaurants. You know, it's funny though because living in LA, I thought there would be so much good Vietnamese food here, but they're all just like pho houses. Oh my gosh. Like, oh, I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, like, I like a good pho restaurant, but at the same time, like, after going to several, you're like, wait, these are starting to taste kind of the same everywhere mm-hmm. you go. And yeah. so, like, yeah, like, that's why, like, if I do end up going to a pho place, I'll try to get something different because I'm like, you kind of get, because my staple was usually, like, the the normal pho that everybody's used to, like, the beef noodle soup or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then, um, like, I would go and get the um, roasted pork over rice or something like that because it was different. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and like, it just, I wish that people would like brought, because whenever they think of Vietnamese cuisine, they're like, they're either ben mi or pho. Like those are like the only two things that come up to mind. I'm like, oh, there's so much more dude. Like come to my house. My mom will cook you a delicious (laughs) meal. Like, oh my God. Like I love it. I love it. Sorry to get sidetracked. Oh my gosh. I just, I could talk about this for like days. Right. Right. So a lot of fellow Asian Americans had difficulties embracing our traditional cuisine growing up, especially when we had to bring our lunch to school. Like, yeah. yeah, like there's like that famous scene in Fresh Off the Boat when Eddie begs his mom to bring something like to get him a lunchable because mm-hmm. people were making fun of his noodles. So was that ever something that you experienced? And if so, how did you deal with what was approached towards you if anybody didn't understand the food? Uh, I mean... 
growing up, I mean, we made our own lunches, but then my mom would make the meat. So we never had your typical, um, what do you call it? Like cold cuts, turkey or ham or whatever. It was like char siu with mayo and like white bread. It was awesome. I loved it. And you know, you get like weird looks and stuff, yeah. but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my parents were mindful about that because they took us grocery shopping with them and so I remember when my sister would I mean my sister probably cared more about that I love all types of food so I don't care yeah (laughs) I'm like I'll eat whatever um but she really wanted them to buy like you know those with those elves, like Keebler. Oh, the Keebler elf? Like the, the cookies? Keebler elves, yes. Yeah. They, she wanted those cookies, and she wanted to bring chips like normal other kids. And so she started asking them to br- get her um, stuff like that. And so, like, I was, I, I joined in, and I got some, too. So, but honestly, I didn't really care. I would have been happy with a bonmi, and I was actually happiest when they bought me a bonmi for lunch because it was so good. Yes. <laughs> I didn't <Yes>. care. <laughs> Yes. So what is your opinion about how Asian food, sometimes it's, I mean, it's clearly been like mocked in like media or whatnot earlier in the past, but now that it's sort of become quote unquote trendy with the growing popularity of dishes like pho, sushi, Korean barbecue, ramen. So what is your opinion about like how that's kind of switched in society now that there's more kind of an awareness, I guess, with our cuisine, like people are introduced to it more. I, I mean, I kind of love it because now it's become more accessible for me, especially when I get cravings. Obviously, every restaurant has their own spin on the food, but um, I just love how it's being exposed. More people are appreciating those flavors and that I can find them at a regular grocery store. It's like you can find fish sauce now at pretty much any store you go to whereas before it was like so stinky I remember my mom telling me a story about when she first came to uh, the United States and she lived in New Jersey and she would have to go all the way to Chinatown in New York to get any kind of Asian ingredients and as she was walking because fish sauce is usually held in like glass bottles right she was walking home and it was like the Penn Station or something where <laughs> it cracked and she left a trail of fish sauce oh, with her. <laughs> she was so embarrassed because everyone's like, what's that smell? I mean, honestly, that would be so traumatizing if that happened in real life today too because it does have a very pungent smell, but it's like, oh, sorry, I broke my fish sauce. Like, oh, okay, yeah. It's, it's just more common these days and more accepted. And I think that just kind of talks to like people accepting different cultures too it's not just the food it's just accepting you know like it's beyond just the food now yeah it's like educating people about culture you're so right yes yes and actually like nook mom is in a lot of my nook mom which is fish sauce is in a lot of my favorite dishes um in one particular i love ben gong um and like the two different styles of it and i like my family loves to go to um we don't go there often but when we go to houston there's a a ben gong restaurant and we Mm -hmm. love to frequent it because there's just so many varieties of it so you're like oh my god it just hits home yes and the fish sauce is usually in like a jug on the side of the table yes. <laughs> and I love that so like you're yeah. just like you're just like okay I can just pour how much I want like you exactly. can drown in the, like your dishes in the mud basically <laughs> 
So, congrats on expecting your second child. Thank you. Yeah. So, what's one recipe you hope to share with your children once they get old enough to help out in the kitchen? Gosh. I mean, there's just so many. Uh, Definitely, like, the, the steamed rice rolls. Just because that's such, like, a family affair, and you can't just do it with one person. There's, like two people that have to man the stove and so like that would be so fun to share with them but like my mom grew up like when I grew up my mom always loved making like bun bale, which are these like rice cakes that you steam in like individual cups and I always helped her with that so you know just doing these like traditional like Vietnamese dishes that you can't find at a lot of restaurants and sharing with them just showing them like different flavors and textures and stuff like that would be really fun i'm thankful yeah i'm thankful that that my uh daughter her name's erisi she loves asian food so anytime i take her to any asian restaurant um I know she'll eat. <laughs> and that's sometimes difficult because, like, they're sometimes picky. I know a lot of, like, um, younger Asian kids, they're, they're like, oh, couldn't I just have chicken strips or something like that? I'm like, no, yeah. this is so good, though. I know. She loves Asian food. I'm like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. Oh, my gosh. That's impressive. For a lot of people, eating healthy can be either unappealing or intimidating. What's a small step that they can take today to incorporate healthier choices into their eating habits while still keeping it palatable? I mean, I think just start by adding one vegetable that you like into your meal each day. Um, I, I think that's kind of how I'm working with Aresi on eating vegetables or eating healthier. I mean, it's weird to compare like a two-year-old with like adults, but it starts with like getting used to the texture, the color, just the flavor. If you don't like it, um, start with that. Or what I always try to do is just incorporate vegetables into smoothies because, um, even when you use kale or, um, I like using rice cauliflower, like the frozen kind to throw it in there. Like there's so much nutrients in there that it's still sweet with a combination of like bananas or whatever fruits you put in there. Um, that it's still palatable, you know, you still get your nutrients. So, so start with like incorporating one vegetable you like into a meal or start with making this, by making a smoothie, um, either for a snack or for breakfast. Yes. Oh my gosh. Such great tips. Great tips. Yes. (laughs) It's been an absolute blast chatting with you. So where can people find you either on your website, your YouTube, your social media, where can people link up with you to find out more? Yeah, so you guys can find me at um, on YouTube at Honeysuckle. That's my channel, and it's mostly like food, lifestyle content on there. Or you can find me on Instagram also at Honeysuckle and Facebook at Honeysuckle. Um, and then I have my website, which is uh, zunglewis.com. Wonderful. Well, Zung, thank you so much for chatting with me. It's been an absolute pleasure geeking Thanks, out about yes, <laughs> geeking out about food. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My guest today was Zung Lewis. If you want to check out her YouTube channel or learn more about her, visit the link in the show notes. Popner Lounge is produced by Steph Fam and V Co. Graphic design is by V Co. And the show is edited and hosted by Steph Pham. 
If you like this episode, please make sure you visit our website, popnerlounge.com. On our website, you'll be able to listen to all of our episodes, subscribe to get notified of our latest releases, and contact us if you have any show suggestions or any guest ideas you'd like to have on the show. Be sure to also follow us on our Instagram page, at popnerlounge. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you tune in next time to nerd out on more pop culture. For Pop Nerd Lounge, I'm Steph Pham.